0: Hi, I'm Trevor Elio,
1: and I'm Julie Stern, and this is Conceptually Speaking, the show where we interview experts to uncover the concepts and patterns that help us organize our world.
0: From farming to fashion, we can understand any field through acquiring, organizing, and transferring conceptual relationships. We hope this podcast will inspire teachers and students to design creative solutions to complex problems and accelerate innovation in today's schools. If you're interested in our work, you can find out more at edtosavetheworld.com. Our guest today is Dr. Jody Carrington, author, consultant, keynote speaker, and all around relationship expert. Over the course of this conversation, we'll be looking at how concepts like authenticity, connection, and physical presence impact human relationships. As you'll immediately notice, Jody is a charismatic guest who is deeply passionate about what she does. What impressed us the most this episode was how well she balances her deep, specialized knowledge and accessible presenting style. Her message about forming meaningful bonds with those we're entrusted to care for, whether that be between administrators and teachers or teachers and their students, is more important now than ever. As you'll soon hear, Jody's commitment to her message is as infectious as it is admirable. We are
2: fixing to talk about very hard things right now, and there's certain words in the human language that demand attention, maybe not respect, but they demand attention. And I am much more concerned about impact over impression. If you don't like me, that's okay. But what I got to say needs to be heard because kids are killing themselves, and educators are killing themselves. And if we don't look after the people who hold them, the kids don't stand a chance.
0: So buckle up and get ready because this podcast is a wild ride. Also, there are a few swear words, so for those of you listening in quarantine with young ones, maybe grab a pair of headphones. Enjoy. Our guest today is Dr. Jody Carrington, an incredibly engaging speaker, author, and consultant who's here today to unpack the complex topic of relationships. Welcome, Jody.
2: Uh, Trevor, I'm so excited to join you from (laughs) Canada.
0: We're excited for you to be here. So can you start just by telling our listeners a little bit about your body of work?
2: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I am a child psychologist by training and uh, I'm not a fan of kids, uh, which kind of makes it uh, crazy. <laughs> I own three of my own, so I'm kind of coming around, but I'm I'm not a huge fan of kids. I am a huge, huge supporter, advocate, believer uh, in people who hold them. Mm. And that is primarily educators uh, who I spend the most of my time with. Uh, first of all, I can't understand why educators chose their profession. Um, And I, I'm in awe of you every single day. I, um, my favorite part of my day is when I drop my children off at school. And um, I always question your uh, judgment, which is really why I'm still unclear about why I serve you. But um, I, I feel like you're a group of people who are really smart. And then you said to yourselves, you know what, you know what we want to do for the rest of our lives. I like, I like lice. I, I want to, uh, <laughs> exactly. I like to be spit and licked. And, um, you know, I like to be told to F off on a regular, you know what? Sign me up. Is,
0: is it a labor of love or masochism? That's the, that's the I, I question. Don't know. It's such
2: fine line. And so, you know, when our babies got into the school system, uh, I worked as a, a pediatric psycho- a psychologist for a very long time in a locked inpatient unit for kids. And so, some of the toughest babies on the planet are my favorites—the ones that you know are kickers and bitter biters and hitters. Uh, Those are my favorite. And when I started in private practice after we had our kids, I um, would consult to school divisions primarily with the toughest kids. And so I would get calls all the time saying, like, uh, we have never, ever, in our history of 78 years of collective educational prowess, we have never seen a child like that. He got the ADHD, and he's a kicker, and he draws bombs, And they would say all the things about these babies and I would say, oh my goodness, this sounds very serious. Tell me more, Uh, how old is he? And I would say, oh my goodness, I'm on my way. And what would happen every time, guys, is I would show up at this very with this very group of committed educators who have lost sleep over this baby, who have done everything they can ever think of to assist this tiny person, and they would set a CUME file. I don't know what you call it down there, but up here in Canada, they call it a CUME file. So that the educational file. And on, you know, the kids that matter the most or that, that cause the most broken hearts are the thickest files. And they would slam this file in front of me and I would open it up and in there there would be 87 psychoeducational assessments. There'd be 47 IPPs or individual program plans, behavioral support plans that would look like a list of motivators and triggers. And they would try to figure out how to behaviorally modify this baby. And I would close the file. I would look at these holy workers and I would say, oh my goodness, sweet ones, who can tell me his middle name? Can anybody in here tell me where his mama is? Can anybody here tell me what, his, what level he's on in Fortnite? And when I had some staff who could start to tell me those things, this cum file would start to shrink. Because what matters for most everybody is if they are seen and if they are heard, they will skate through walls for you. It is fundamental to the people we lead, to the people we love, and the people we teach. And so if you are, if your listeners are uh, leaders, if you're a principal or, uh, you know, on a senior leadership team, this is the same principles that apply to if you're a special ed teacher, if you're in a title one school, if you are in uh, a school uh, in the middle of you know the Hollywood Hills, this is a universal language that if kids are seen and heard, they will skate through walls. We're in Canada, so we do a lot of skating, but they might run or they might like pole vault or whatever the thing is in your respective place for you. And as will your, t- your team. If you see them, if you hear them, uh, if you believe in them and here's the hardest part about it is the kids and the educators who need it the most are the hardest to give it to. Mm. Do you understand me? Yes, the kids, sure. <laughs> the educators who need it the most are the hardest. It is easy to light up and to love on the people who are emotionally regulated The mm. your team players who show up early, stay late, do all the things for you. Oh my goodness. It's easy to love on them. Mm. The babies that come with pigtails are usually named Taylor, and they do baking, gluten-free baking for <laughs> the, for you in the church. Mm. And mm-hmm. you're like, "Oh, Taylor, hello! <laughs>
1: it is the Jacksons yes.
2: with an X." Do you have any Jacksons with an X
1: <laughs> who show
2: up? And they're like, "I got a Pokemon!"
1: <laughs> uh-huh.
2: and like, Listen, you little friggin' <laughs> <men.">
1: <laughs>
2: the kids who need it the most, the staff who need it the most, are the hardest to give it to, and mm. it is our only way out.
0: Mm. Yeah, that, that's-, that's fantastic. So it, it, it really, it sounds like what, what you're saying is relationships are the, the secret sauce to repair uh, maybe some of the emotional, psychological, mental issues that, that students are, are battling. Um, and I, I think it's, it's an important message, but it's, it's one that has become kind of ubiquitous. Like it is a hashtag, hashtag relationships. And mm. what, I, what I love about your work is you're coming at this from the angle of a specialist. You have deep knowledge and understanding and expertise about like what does that actually mean to have a positive relationship, uh, whether whether that's with the staff or or with a student. So can you can you break down how you take this this really complex psychology, but you also present it in a way that is accessible and engaging? Like I've seen you, you're a phenomenal speaker, um, and it, you it's clear that you have a deep understanding of these things, but you don't let maybe some of the, the terminology or the jargon distract you from really connecting personally with the people that you're presenting to. So can you talk to us a little bit about how do you take this really complicated stuff and boil it down to its bare essentials without losing its essence?
2: Yeah, I'd love to. Trevor, that's such good questions. Can I tell you that I've now just decided this podcast is going to last three hours because I... (laughs) There is, like, so many things that I want to tell you about. And um, I think, you know, first and foremost, if we're going to dance, like, let's jump in and dance because we don't have very much time. And, you know, I say a lot of provocative statements, which usually get me into trouble. I cuss a lot and I love Jesus. So I I combine (laughs) all of those things into one fiery little package because uh, it's very purposeful and I'll tell you why we are fixing to talk about very hard things right now. And there's certain words in the human language that demand attention, maybe not respect, but they demand attention. And I am much more concerned about impact over impression. If you don't like me, that's okay. But what I gotta say needs to be heard because kids are killing themselves and educators are killing themselves. And if we don't look after the people who hold them, the kids don't stand a chance understand? And so what is so critical and what I'm going to say is important for the children we serve, but it's more important who the people we go to war with. And I mean that in the truest sense of the word, and I know it's, it's difficult to have this conversation, but he, here's the issue for me. Suspensions are a pipeline to prison. We continue to have hard conversations. If we don't have hard conversations about disciplinary behavioral interventions, they are not two things, trauma-informed and they are not relationship focused. Those are the two things that are gonna change us in the world of education. There's a massive difference between school, shooters that ha- school shootings that happen in the United States of America and school shootings that happen in Canada. We have lots of theories about why that might be, and I will tell you mine, and it is based on opinion and supporting facts, but I'll just go with the opinion part of it now. It is really about how we look after educators. It has nothing to do with guns. It has nothing to do with gluten. It has nothing to do with all of the theories, the grand theft auto five. It has (laughs) so much more to do with relationships and how we look after educators, because if those of us holding babies are okay, we will see them. We will see the change in baseline. We will see the trench coats. We will see the disconnect and we will light up and pull you back in. The only way we get through hard things is connection. And when we are disconnected ourselves, we can't give it away. When you are serving from an empty cup, when you have to have three jobs, to do this holy work that is your calling, when you are concerned about your own families, when you are losing sleep over other people's children, when you are not seen and heard, and when you're not considered an essential service, you will not be able to serve the most broken. The kids are not the problem. Those of us holding them need to be the focus. Do you understand? If we do not, I don't know why I'm, I'm saying, I feel like I'm like, Lecturing here. We don't. (laughs) I I I told them. I told you before we started that I like too much coffee in the Corona. (laughs) It's a problem for people like me. But if we don't, I I guess my biggest issue for me is you know there's five things that I talk about in the book Kids These Days um, that I want to just make sure your listeners get today so that they have something to put in their back pocket by the time we wrap up today and um, they are universal to not only the children we serve, but particularly to the people who hold us, hold them, sorry. And um, I think we focus a lot on curriculum. So any time I'm asked to speak at an educators conference, which is less and less these days, but anyway, um, is really, uh, we focus on curriculum. Uh, The literacy and the numeracy. Okay, those are swear words in my personal (laughs) world. Because here's one thing that educators are good at literacy and the numeracy and if we never not one time looked at curriculum again for the rest of your respective careers or the listeners careers uh, listening here we're going to be okay we have the finest curriculum on the planet we have the finest curriculum on the planet if your child is attending school in north america rest assured that they are getting the finest education that this planet has to offer there are children today walking to school five miles in guyana with no shoes just to learn an alphabet we have the finest curriculum on the current planet our literacy and our numeracy is not is great what is not okay is how we prepare those holding kids and families for emotional dysregulation trauma and grief because if you teach in this system 25 percent of all kids will lose at least one parent before the age of 18 and even with the finest literacy and numeracy whiteboards were shits flying out of them everybody got a chromebook you know it does not matter If those babies are grieving, it does not matter if they're dysregulated. If they are getting the ever loving Jesus beat out of them every single night, it does not matter if you have a fine curriculum, if your pedagogy is sound, if your lesson plan is ready, if your bulletin boards are colorful, that is irrelevant. If this baby is emotionally dysregulated, he cannot learn. Not because he does not want to, it's because he can't in that moment. And you cannot take away enough stuff from a kid to make them be kind. You cannot. You cannot behaviorally modify anybody to make a good choice. Yeah, you can't tell them; you have to show them. And if, as educators, we are not okay, these babies do not stand a chance. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, and so I love that you. You know, one of the questions that Trevor and I were talking about before you joined was um, just how I noticed that you are very, um, you're very nurturing to adults. And I was wondering if you were intentionally one of the questions I had, which you've already answered, um, is I was wondering if you were intentionally modeling almost the way in which you want adults to speak with kids in in these ways in which you speak very kindly, lovingly and nurturing and real and authentic to adults. Um, and that's obvious. So I love that you have this new book coming out. So you have kids these days and that you're working on teachers. Is it, is it called teachers these days? Is that what's going to be called? It's amazing. Um, and so I'm just wondering how you balance that. Do you have a way in which you think about, okay, my ultimate goal is the kids and the kids being seen and the kids feeling connected. And I know that the conduit to that, to that is my, is making sure. I love how you say that the educators are, are nurtured that the educators feel seen and so do you say like okay look I've been emphasizing too much on the on the students I need to show some love to the educators or do you primarily emphasize ways you show love to educators like how do you balance that there's almost two audiences the students and then the educators who you say holds them uh, how do you sort of strategically think about how you are going to serve those two groups yeah um, I don't serve kids so I'm a child
2: psychologist, and when my caseload is even at you know the highest it's ever been, uh, let's say when I had you know 90 kids and families uh, that I was serving, I would maybe see two kids in therapy. Yeah, I people say this to me all the time: "Can you fix my kid? Right? I'm so worried he's a psychopathic serial killer. Uh, I think he got the ADHD and the bipolar, and you know he's doing all the things and he's starting fires." And I say, "Oh, mama, yes, I'd love to meet your baby, but I need to meet you first. And um, why do you think I'm the problem? No, my love, you're the answer. And I can keep a kid in therapy till they're 65. But if I send them home to a war zone every night, it's a waste of time. And so assessment is very different than treatment. I need to get eyes on that baby to, to get a look at, you know, where he's functioning cognitively, developmentally. Am I missing anything in terms of abuse, neglect, trauma? All of those things are very important from the perspective of the child. The shift in their story happens for the people who hold them. So I've been asked many times as a child psychologist, you know, will you speak to kids? And I say, no, uh, you know, can you create a workshop for kids? Absolutely. I could. I mean, I love children. I mean, that's a big stretch. Actually, Mm. I don't, I'm not a huge fan, but (laughs) I, I much prefer, (laughs) I much prefer. And I say that we, you know, with all the enduring qualities, I mean, I, my favorite job on the planet is a mom and it is also the most ch- challenging thing I've ever done in my life. As a child psychologist, the first time they laid my, my, my firstborn in my arms, I was like, come on, how hard can this be? I mean, I, my husband has a PhD in animal science. I have a PhD in child psychology. we got six degrees between us. Like, come on, bring it. Parenting is hard. Sweet
1: Jesus. It is hard. <laughs> I have never
2: questioned my self-worth, my sanity, right. my conceptual understanding of That's the right. planet.
1: You, you don't know, you don't know rage until you have your own kids. Ah! If you like, don't you think? <laughs> I
2: wrote a book about kids these days. And if you watch me with my own personal children, you would not buy the book.
1: Okay? Yes. Because
2: I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And so That's I think. I think this is really um you know I think what's so critical about this is that you know we will continue to serve children we will we're wired for connection we're wired to be nurturing individuals, and we only have access to that stuff when we're regulated ourselves so the biggest bang for our cell or our buck I think in the world of education is how do we look after the educators how do we look after our board of trustees how do we look after our principals how do we say to our superintendents uh, you know relationship knows no hierarchy so if you're an educational assistant or a behavioral support person or you know they're called something different in every state and province you have as much power to go to your principal and say I am so happy to serve this community you are doing such a good job in leading us through this and I just wanted to say thanks If you stopped at head office and you said to somebody, a superintendent, can I just take two minutes? Can you pass this to the superintendent? 99% of their job is to get the the shit comments about how they need to be doing better. And when an EA says, I feel so proud to be part of this division because of what you're doing for us, that changes the trajectory of that day. If you call a parent, my friends, in your busy, busy life, if you take 30 seconds and call Jackson's dad,
1: Mm, the Jackson Jackson with an with an X. Mm. who
2: nobody not one time has said to that dad, his, his name is Earl, let's pretend, hypothetically speaking, his name is Earl and he drives a dually. I don't know what happens in Virginia, but you mm. got a du- dually. <laughs> we have a lot of duallys. Mufflers, okay? And there's a lot of things happening and he has never set foot into your school because he doesn't have a very good experience with the institution of education. Let me tell you, he had a hard time in school himself and that one teacher was kind to him. And when he's taking his baby to you every single day and you put on your shoes, Trevor, and you run outside, And you say, Earl, just a second. And he's like, what? And you say, I just wanted to tell you one thing. I I, I'm, I'm Jackson's teacher. And he says, I know who you are. I just want to tell you, dad, you're doing something right. He is the funniest little man I've ever met. And it is a pleasure and a joy to teach him. I just want to say thank you for bringing him to me every day. Does he get a sense of humor from you? Mm -hmm. And what he will say is things like this. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah, I am pretty funny. And, uh, And then he'll say, sorry, what's your name again? And you'll say, I'm Mr. A, Leo. I'm Mr. A. And he says, Mr. A, thank you, sir. And when Jackson walks through the door that night, where do you think Earl is? He is waiting for his baby to say, I met Mr. A today and he told me you're awesome. You have just changed the trajectory of a life, 20 seconds of your time. Okay? Do not underestimate the power because as educators, you are holy in all of our worlds and your opinion matters your criticism will be heard so much better your feedback will be heard so much better all of those things are necessary to help kids and families be better but you must connect first and the ones who need it the most are the hardest to give it to
1: mm. would you say like fake it till you make it when you when you talk about the the ones who are the hardest to give it to could you sort of unpack that a little bit say, let's say we have a, a teacher who who has the kid in their class that is really really hard what's your advice to that teacher Um, what if they say to you, you know what, Jody, I I can't think of one good thing. I can't go into that data. I can't think of one good thing. What would you say to that teacher about that kid? I would
2: say to that teacher, tell me why you got into this business. Take, take me back to the people who inspired you the most. Slow down for a second, drop your shoulders. Tell me why you got into this holy work who inspired you the most. And when you can get that person in your head, I want to remind you how they made you feel. I promise you they didn't, you know, they didn't inspire you because they were good with bunts and burners. They didn't inspire you because, you know, we're here to get them little buggers to make better choices and teach them. It was because you were seen and you were heard. And everybody has a story that will crush your soul. And I promise you this hurt people hurt people. And if this mom and this dad can't show up, I've assessed and treated over a thousand kids in this country, and I've never not one time met a bad kid, not one time. And the only way we change the trajectory of anybody's life is our only job here is to sprinkle a little bit, of to tip it in the area of love. That's it to tip it into that zone and you give whatever you got. Some days as an educator, you're going to show up. You're going to be making homemade Play-Doh and high-fiving <laughs> everybody. And you're going to be doing all the things. And the next day, Trevor, you're going to show up without even a bra on. And you know what?
0: It's happened Both to me. Those, I forgot you know, it. <laughs>
2: busted. Both of those days, you are more than enough because you have chose the holy profession of education to hold babies and families. And either way, either day, mo- any of those days, you're more than enough. We just need you to show up to the best of your capacity on any given day.
0: Jody. what I love about all of these things that you're talking about is, is you're not interested with the the surface, the superficiality, saying the right thing at the right time in the right way, as much as you're interested in authenticity in the nitty gritty, get your hands dirty humans as confused mud people who are just trying to find themselves and find any semblance of, of purpose or meaning. And really, when you cut through that, and I can tell just by the way that you're speaking to us, uh, your authenticity, I'm sure makes it easier for other people to be authentic too. Mm. And maybe some of those uh, guards or barriers that we put up that we think protect us are actually what are holding us back. So what are things that you could suggest to adults that will help them, I guess, connect with their, their authentic human self and because of that, then be able to connect with students?
2: So two things I think that really matter in this process is really, you know, again, what we just talked about is getting back to, to why, because why you do this job, purpose, ride shotgun to passion, Mm. purpose, ride shotgun to passion. And when you know why you will step into this better than you've ever been, you are here. Ram Dass says this. He's one of my favorite philosophers. He says, we are all just here walking each other home. Mm. We are all just here walking each other home. And nobody has a clue what they're doing, when they're doing it, why they're doing it. I mean, I mean, we are so lulled into this false sense of everybody's got it together on Instagram and Facebook.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But what I wish people would have to post is the family picture, the two shots of the family picture that came before you took the real one. When you're like, for God's sake, you know what? <laughs> the 40 shots. The kids, because <laughs> likely you're not going to make the Christmas card. Okay? Mm-hmm. If, if we could see more of that. Then uh, I think we would relax a little bit and we'd be able to be vulnerable. But I think there's so much now we've never been more disconnected than in the history of the free world than we are right now because face-to-face connection, authenticity, that, that is where um, power lies. And despite the fact that we can do connections like this, which is beautiful things, technology is beautiful things. It is taking away the the necessity for face-to-face connection. If we lived 50 years ago, we would have had to do this in person. Right. And I, you and I, our physiology changes when I'm in the same physical room as you that you cannot, you can't replicate that physiological change. Um, like my oxytocin, my dopamine increase, those are the feel good hormones. My cortisol decreases when I'm in the same physical room as somebody else, particularly somebody who I love and respect. Yeah. And you cannot replicate that to the same degree on FaceTime or zoom, or for sure on a text and an email and even prior to covid we were doing this so much more than in previous generations yeah if you think about the square footage of the house that your grandfather was raised in and the square footage of the house in which you you know you're you'll raise your babies or you are raising your babies significant difference which we're taking away is face to face connection with other human beings and that changes that changes the way we show up for each other. That changes our confidence, our confidence. And my biggest concern about sort of now in this world of Zoom and online chats, it's gonna make it so much easier to provide information and stay, you know, theoretically connected, working from home, all of those things. But what is fundamentally important is face-to-face connection from a physiological, neurological perspective that we cannot replicate in any other way. And we're already more so disconnected from the, you know, before the COVID hit. So Five things that I want to make sure we get to your your audience before we sign off today. If you want to think about um, one thing that you're going to change that's going to alter the trajectory of your life, it is called the light up. And um, it, I, this is a concept that is as old as time. You're a I often talk about his quote. I talk about it in the book. He said this: the only thing he started the American Head Start program in the 40s, and he said this: the only thing that a kid needs to develop in a healthy way is first last and always somebody needs to be crazy about them. And in his journal, he talks about them being, um, like irrationally crazy. And so in the forties, what he meant by that is the light up in my, in my opinion, the light up. So the light up is when you haven't seen somebody you love for a long time, if you own a kid or love a kid and they walk into you and they say, uncle Trevor, ah, or your babies come through the door and they're like, ah, yeah, that's the light-up. You know, airport reunions, it's a light-up. And so how do you respond when one of your students comes into you with a light-up? Like, ah! Typically, we respond, you can't even help yourself because we're wired for connection. We do this, ha, ah! Like that, okay? <laughs> the light-up is your most significant, powerful calling card on the planet. And it is free, and we all have it. Now, your light-up, how you do it, what is so critically important is not how you do it, it is if you do it. Now, my father's light up, okay, so I was raised on a farm in rural Alberta um, where my father's light up is like, so in my 44 years of being on the planet, there's no other person that I, I long for a light up from than my personal father, okay? And this is his light up, are you ready? That's it, a small nod of the head, a little bit of a like this sometimes if he's super proud, like if shoot the lights out, Lang Carrington's in town, his hand might go over his heart and he might go, "Mm -hmm." that's it. And that is, that tells me that I have made it, that I am, I mean, he has stood in the back of an auditorium. I published a book. I married a good man. We got three kids. I sold out an auditorium, 5,000 people. He will come back and talk to me and he will say, I said, dad, what do you think? Yeah good job that's it and i am like yes now my personal light up when we when we get to meet julie what will happen is this will happen i will be like ah! and there will probably be a, a leg wrap involved there may be it do you understand it is not how you do it it is if you do it And I promise you, Trevor, Julie, what your job is today is I want you to get off this podcast. I want you to find that person who you're married to. You've probably contemplated divorce in the last few weeks because that's what (laughs) isolation will do to you. I want you to get eyes with your person and I want you to do this. (gasps) And then if you want to get fancy, you're going to say this. I don't know if I tell you this enough. I don't know if I tell you this enough, but you matter to me. Now, two things are going to happen. First of all, they're going to say, like, are you, are you drinking? (laughs) My husband always says this to me. What'd you buy? (laughs) Because the people we love the most are suspicious when we're kind. The people we love the most are suspicious when we're kind. And if you try this with your students, even the ones who need it the most, okay? So your Jacksons with an X, if you get to Google meet with them this week, if you get to do your flip grids with them, I don't know, you know, whatever you got going on, I want you to pay close attention to how you light up for the Jacksons. If they actually get online and you go, Ah! You made it! Oh my goodness, baby doll, look at your sweater! Woo! I'm so happy you're here. They are not going to know what the shit to do with that. Do you understand? (laughs) So your light up is your significant, it's free, it is the only way home. The more you give it away, the more you will receive it, and it will alter the trajectory of your life. Those two, that and eye contact. So as an educator, if you think about the people who, who are the best on the planet, I will tell you, uh, best educators, when you get, think about them in your head, what they have understood is the art of connection with people. And eye contact is our only way home. It is It is the way we socially reference. And people will say to me, be careful because there's cultural differences in eye contact. Listen to me. There is, there is no culture on this planet who doesn't make eye contact to social reference. The exception to that in terms of children, families, is people on the autism spectrum. They do not make eye contact to social reference. They do always make eye contact to judge safety, right? And there's not a planet. So so there's some cultures that don't make eye contact or you're not allowed to, you know, men and women at certain times, veils, all those things. There's rules around eye contact sometimes. We often talk about up in Canada, our First Nations culture has difficulty, you know, are, are very sort of specific about eye contact. And listen to me. If you where's your eyes when you come from multiple generations of abuse, neglect, and trauma? Yeah. Where's your eyes when you're in a state of grief or mourning? down. When you are not confident or confident, your eyes are down. When you are hurting, when you have a trauma history, your eyes are down. These are the window to the soul. And your response is not to do crazy shit like this. Like, that's weird. You don't like go to students. Like when we get back into the classroom, I don't want you to be like, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> that's not weird. That's not right. But what I want you to notice is this is your cue. And when you're confident, if you think about, if you ever got past a set at first date, your second date, typically your eyes are locked. You are looking at each other because you're confident. You're confident. You're trying to gather information about that human being. When you're now married for 10 years, where's your eye? Right? You're in devices. You're looking at all kinds of things. When you slow down and you say to each other, look at me, baby doll. For four minutes, here's what we're going to do tonight. You're just going to look at me for four minutes. I mean, that's it. That's all. You've got to look at me for four minutes. When I tried that with my husband, he said to me, what, what, okay, what are we looking for? Did you get a haircut? <laughs> and i said no I, i'm your bride you we procreated do you remember like i just wanted to look at you he's like this is this is weird what is this how long do we have to can we take breaks that was his, his question was can we take breaks
0: <laughs> my wife is definitely coming from my, for my ipad after she hears this <laughs>
2: <laughs> So those are the two things I really want to just leave your audience with. And I'm so glad, you know, you're serving them in the way that you are and you're creating this beautiful community of, you know, trying to Unpack conceptually, how do we do these things on the ground? How do we do these things for the kids and family we serve? And I hope that, you know, it's just so simple from a neurological perspective that we just need to be seen. We just need to be heard. And when you do the light up and you pay attention, you know, around this idea of connection, even in the middle of the COVID, I want you to watch um, when you're driving down your street, I want you to wave at your neighbors. I want you to wave at the car, the people you pass by, even if they don't know you, that's particularly helpful for me. I Like I spend so much time on my drive to and from the office because we still get to be in the office right now. I am waving at everybody and you can see the two of them. They're like, Ethel, did we know her? Who wants that? <laughs> And I love that because you're engaging a prefrontal cortex. You're engaging in conversation and community, and that is our only way out of this, right? Now, when we go to the grocery store, I don't know what it's like in Virginia, but we're really, really scared here of you know flattening the curve. And so, even in the grocery store, you know, there's now lines where you can walk and you can't walk, and people are they're down, right? They're scared, and so when you you can make it, the, the corona is not going to jump out of your eyeballs. <laughs> you are you are allowed to look at each other and say. Like this, okay? So try it. Get your head up, make eye contact. We're gonna be okay. We're gonna we're just walking each other home. But the only way we get through this
1: is if we stay connected. Hmm. Do you have speaking of? Do you have you know, one of the things we talk about a lot is sort of connecting concepts and relationship, and then transferring them to new situations. So this has become this sort of the idea of connection. I love that you give specific examples of of eye contact and and this idea of light up. Like that's a that's a concept in and of itself, and you've given us some examples of how that can look differently between your dad and you. Um, but what what advice do you have for teachers? You know, you gave the one example of noticing the sweater on the live Zoom call or something, but or, or, or do you? I'm sure you've thought about other ways that teachers can facilitate connection and, and really having kids be seen and heard in this online, or even in many cases, maybe packets are going home. I mean, it's just a situation where human connection is really difficult. What can we do? Yeah. Your world of educators have so many good
2: ideas. And um, when we uh, when the corona started, I do every morning a Facebook, Instagram live at about 8.15 Mountain. And um, educators are really just sort of coming together, making suggestions about what they've done, postcards home to the kids who don't have internet access, um, dropping them off. I mean, if you live in smaller communities, you know where your babies live. Um, and I think so much of that really matters. Notes on mama's car. Uh, flip, you know, like our, our sticky notes. They come out to their car, and it just says, "I miss you." I saw some educators yesterday um, in Alberta here. They went to school, and the kids in there who they serve um, went to outside of their cars and um, wrote chalk messages. Um, "We miss you. We can't wait to see you again." And so, when they came out of school, they were all over on the pads. So, if you're a parent listening to this, you know, bringing your babies to the to, to your school, you know, can you imagine you come out of your your school after you know you've been trying to do online stuff all day and this message is there um it just it just keeps us in the game oh i'm sorry it just keeps us in the game. And I think that's part of our job right now is to try to figure that out. So so those things, I really want you to pay attention when you're doing Zoom calls with your kids where the camera is located. Um, there's a big difference. I want the light to be in front of you. So not, I mean, sitting in front of a window means they can't see your face. So you see the difference even, you know, Julie, between, I you know your listeners can't listen to this, but it, or see us, um, but our, um, I want your camera to be at eye level. And so oftentimes, you know, you'll notice if you're, if you've been Zooming or FaceTiming with your personal parents, there's a <laughs> lot of this happening. Yeah.
1: Yeah. With your uh, nose shot.
2: <laughs> yeah, You get a lot of shots on the nose and um, we're, we're really um, embarrassed to see ourselves on video. Mm. And so what's sometimes helpful is to, to cover yourself up so that you're not preoccupied, preoccupied by sort of be like, oh, mm. sh- what's it happening what with mm. my hair do? And is my ear straight? All this thing.
1: Cover yourself up. Keep your camera on, but that moves move the, the view, view so you can't see what they see just to, so you're not <laughs> exactly. analyzing yourself. Yeah, I like that. Totally. And
2: then because then we get really distracted by who we're showing up for. So I want the light to be on your face so your students can see your eyes. I want you to be close enough to the camera and that it is equal to you so that they can see you that affords the best connection. Um, And then, you know, being able to, um, if you can't do this, if you can't figure out the technology, uh, camera stuff, it's okay, guys, like, let's be, let's be really honest about this, right? Like, it's, it's, this is temporary so I mean is our is our hope and I and I'm quite confident that it is and the deal is you're going to get back to these babies right you're going to get back to doing this holy work and so in the meantime do the best you can if you can't figure out how to do a google hangout oh mama it's okay if you can't figure out the snap grid or whatever the friggin it's called it it, it does not matter if they don't get the literacy and the numeracy into Mm, you babies mm, six mm. months I'm taking a break, playing a little more Grand Theft Auto, they're going to be okay. I promise you, they're going to be okay. So I really, I mean, one of the things we're going to focus on here in Canada, I think, um, or my, my hope is, you know, once we return into the classroom, is to really return slowly to the literacy and numeracy. I don't want you to be doing anything in August, September, October. Uh, not until November should we be doing things where we're, we're grading kids again. Because I really want us to collect that prefrontal cortex, that emotional disconnect. This is going to be super traumatic for educators and for their babies. It's going to be super traumatic for their parents. And Mm so, you know, you have lots of kids whose parents have continued to serve on the front line. Nurses, physicians, police officers, firefighters. Which means that they've been in a state of complete and utter disconnect. And so you cannot Mm -hmm. expect them to step back into the classroom ready for literacy and numeracy. We've got to hold the space. And um, I think that's important. When you name it, you tame it. If we do not have space for it, uh, it'll kick us in the ass in January. And you'll have a lot of kids who are just not learning. They got the ADHD. We got to name it to tame it.
0: Do you think that the the sort of collective societal trauma of coping with COVID is going to change the way that we maybe interact. There've been some interesting reports coming out of uh, China where people are less likely to be meeting in person, even with restrictions lifted, to go to restaurants, to go to the social places and spaces where they used to sort of commune and congregate, because there is this sort of residual effect and fear. So how do you see that playing out and and how could we maybe overcome that while still being conscious of the fact we need to be safe? Uh, Just it's fascinating to consider that the way that we act as as human beings is going to be altered in some way, at least for a short amount of time, um, due to the sort of psychological effects of the virus.
2: So Trev, now we're now that's yeah. what we're on. <laughs> we're, we're at that goals. level now. Trev. All right,
0: Jules, <laughs> you got it. Uh,
2: so, what well, I I we're wired for connection right? Uh, we're wired to do hard things. We're wired for this corona, mm-hmm. but we are wired for connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nelson Mandela spent 27 mm-hmm. years in isolation, mm-hmm. 24, 27. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about mm-hmm. that number. Uh, and he came out and created the greatest movement of all time. And what I really want us to think about is it has to be a conscious effort. Uh, we are going to be scared for uh, a period of time. We are going it's going to be easier functionally to do things online. It's going to be easier to work from home. It will be to our massive detriment if we continue in that regard because we are wired for connection. And so I think it needs to be a conscious effort, particularly with our kids who we're we are now online schooling. Um, I, I, I'm a, I was a huge believer before this, and I now, um, and even more so, that the babies who need us the most are the hardest to give it to. And when we segregate to online programs, it's typically because they have trouble showing up in social settings. Those are the babies that I need us to very consciously pull back into the, to the physical building right? We need to be into this place. I mean, the fundamental belief I have is suspensions are a pipeline to prison, disciplining kids by excommunicating them, moving them outside of the physical building um, is the worst thing we can do. So uh, will I think there'll be a a ripple effect from this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because face-to-face connection is the hardest thing. You'd much rather give feedback over an email. You'd much rather give hard messages, uh, you know, to your husband over a text than you would to be like, babe, come here. We need to talk about things, right? It's easier to do that. Now, in previous generations, they didn't have that opportunity. I had to drive to my neighbor's house when they lost their child. I couldn't send them a note and say, like, ooh, heart emoji, you know, because what's hardest is to look at their face and to watch the pain and despair that is there. And you cannot undo that. You cannot, you cannot have the same effect with a note. You cannot have the same effect in any other way. So it, it needs to be a conscious effort. And I hope that, you know, you and me and those of us who can create a movement in this regard will keep saying it as we get back into it. We have to be safe, but we have to do it. It is an essential shift that must happen. And we even we even have to rebound from farther than we were before. Do you understand? Before, before COVID wasn't enough. Before COVID, you know, Julie and I stood on stages and said, damn it, we need to connect more. Relationship is the only way home. And now this is going to push us back years. This is going to push us back a while, but this is going to be the fodder for remember what it felt like in isolation. That is why we say the things we're saying, let's, let's go, let's go. Let's do this even bigger and better than we were before. And I hope our hearts are going to be filled up and, you know, because of this so that we can do it.
1: I think in some ways I'm wondering if you, if you agree or disagree, I think in some ways this is almost hopeful because we've, we were. I feel like our pace of life, not so much in Alberta, but definitely in most of the cities in the United States, the pace of life was, was too hectic, was too hurried, was too busy. Um, and one thing I'm noticing just in the neighborhood as I go for a run, um, I see families out playing basketball together that I've never seen anybody outside of that house before. Um, I see just kids in the driveway playing with their siblings. I never saw that happening before. Um, and so I'm hopeful that in some ways, even a silver lining to, to sort of reconnect with, with our neighborhood and people around us that are immediately around us. I, you know, I, I've, I've said hello and had six foot away conversations with people in the neighborhood that I never spoke to before. Um, and yes, so ma'am. I'm hopeful that even getting to know you, nature will increase in the midst of all of this.
2: Oh, I, you know, I've said this so much, uh, we're going to want this time back and, and I, and I really don't want us to miss it. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't want people to die. I don't want people to get disconnected and scared, but I, I honestly panic every time I hear your leader, our leader saying, okay. Let's open her up again. Let's get back to it. I'm like, no, because even in our own personal family, I mean, I, I mean, I wrote a book about this shit relationship and connection and I have never, since our twins were three, um, I've never spent this much time with him because I was always on the road because I was speaking around the world because I was around the world. Okay. That's a bit of an extent, like around Canada. Okay. Let's not go the world.
0: I'm I'm all cocky up
2: here in Canada right now. I literally two weeks into the Corona put my suitcase mm-hmm. away and I've never done mm-hmm. that. It was a rotational, <laughs> let's, let's go, let's mm-hmm. go. And I, I, I'm a huge believer in this. I'm going to show my babies how you change the world. I can't mm-hmm. tell them, I can't tell them how to find a passion and, you know, stand up for, for people who need to be stood up for, I have to mm-hmm. show them. So I'm a huge believer that that was necessary, but it has taught me a lot about just how much um, I, I can shift in this way of operating. Mm-hmm. I have never played so many mother packing games. I, Uno flip uh-huh, in my right. life. And I, I'm, I'm serious about <laughs> it. Like now I'm like, okay, get this. <laughs> let's go. five bucks are on the line. in your piggy bank. We are going in. Mama's going to teach you how to gamble. But I, but I think, I think, you know, we've, we've had so much fun and I do not want to miss right. this. And I say to my husband all the time, let's not miss this. I mean, every night we have dinner together. Uh, this is how it should be
0: it's a reminder of of our humanity we, we've been so caught up in the hustle bustle of of daily life that we've sort of lost connection with the things that actually make us human uh there's a, a french philosopher who, who has some really fascinating work uh jean Baudrillard, and he talks about the simulacra which is this idea that increasingly as you move to like online places uh there is like this image or idea of something that makes us human and instead of actually pursuing it in the real world We just try to recreate it in the digital world. Instead of having, instead of connecting with people in person, we want to have a lot of friends or followers on social media. Instead of feeling like we have an impact on people in our personal lives, we want to be, you know, thought leaders or gurus on the internet. And it's it's this idea of of we've recreated this reality that we can look at and quantify and see on the internet that is much harder to see and quantify in person. And I just think it's something like, you know. I think technology and, and education online like has it, its uses and purposes, but that is one of my fears that we're gonna figure out or we're going to reach a point where we're just trying to recreate these things that just kind of have to happen in person, these deeply human and personal things. So how can we, how can we capitalize on the, the affordances of digital learning without losing that humanity, without trying to create you know, manufactured realities of things that we need in person?
2: Yeah so so technology isn't the problem I mean, it's how we use it. That's the issue. Like technological advances are massive. I mean, uh, medical advances are massive. I am, I am so hopeful that my kids don't understand that pancreatic cancer is a death sentence Uh, because of technological and medical advances. I hope that, I mean, we had a massive bus crash here, uh, two years ago, our humble hockey team, um, was taken out. If you heard about that. And it was, I hope that because of technological advances, I can put my babies on a hockey bus in 10 years from now, I know that they're going to get where they're going safely. Right. Technology innovation—that that's not the problem. It's how we use it that is the issue, and it it will require a conscious effort. It will require conversations like this to be had again and again and again. It will require because it's easier and it's safer to do things online. Because I can just block you if I don't like what you're saying, <laughs> Billy. I'm gonna <laughs> shut you down. Right? That's
1: right.
2: And that that's not how human relationships work. And I also get less feedback online. Like Trevor, you know, I his face goes in and out or he freezes or he does all these things. I can't read your body language. And I need to do that to know am I crossing a line? Am I saying too much? Am I doing we lose that piece that happens online that is necessary for our physiology to respond? And so we will become more and more automated. It will, because it's easier. We can reach more people. We can do all those kinds of things. It's beautiful, but it will never, ever, ever replace face-to-face connection, which is going to require a conscious effort because it's easier and less painful to do things online from a psychological perspective than it is to be in somebody's physical space. And so it will be a conscious effort to make that, to continue, to do with our babies, to show our babies. It is so much easier at the end of the day, Julie, after I have talked three kids off ledges, wrote another chapter in a book, moved whatever I did, talked to a team of Thirteen people did all those things. I would to give my baby an iPad at the end of the day. You go watch the YouTube. Mommy's just gonna sink into social media for a little bit here because I get so much feedback from our community that oh Jody, this was awesome. I love this, and then I get the haters and I blocked in. <laughs> and then. I, I would much rather that than like go watch my, you know, play Uno or have my kids, like, because it's effort to do face to face stuff. It always, right. it always will be. It always will be. It's uh, so much easier to get our needs met online. I'd much rather watch Netflix. We're right into Breaking Bad right now than to sit down and play cards with my husband because there's a domestic that occurs every time we play mm. crib together. <laughs> Cheater. <laughs> Cheater. So I'd much rather sink into Breaking Bad or Grey's Anatomy because, first of all, First of all, McDreamy is hotter than my personal husband. And so at the end of the day, I feel so much better to be talking. Do you understand? So that immediate gratification we will never get out of. It. it is hard work to maintain relationships with our friends, with our family. And that needs to be a conscious effort that we keep talking about.
1: I like that. I like that you're saying the conversation we need to keep having. Because I feel like if, we're, if we acknowledge that it's, it's not a one and done kind of, kind of conversation, that it has to be a conversation that we keep having. and. I'm loving that we're already having those conversations before, you know, we find medical treatments and vaccines to this to this uh, crisis so that we're, we're constantly, you know, having that conversation. We're going to have to start. We start it now. We have it three months from now and we have it, you know, two more months later. Um, and that's that's essential. I love that. I think that's that's gives that gives me hope that it's, it's not just a one and done conversation.
0: We talk yeah. a lot about the importance of metacognition for students, but it sounds like it's also really important for adults asking ourselves, when I go to my timeline, when I go to, you know, Netflix, what am I, what am I getting out of it? Why am I here? And what am I hoping to take from it? And, and if I'm trying to cultivate some part of myself, is there a, a better, more human place for me to try to do that? And I think that's such an important question.
2: And is it okay to give ourselves some grace? Yes, Mm ma'am. It's okay to sink into the Netflix series. You go girl, have a nap, (laughs) go off on your own journal, do all the shit, but pay very close attention. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. And when you are engaged with the people you love, get their eyes, say their name. That's how we walk each other home.
1: Love it, love it. Well, you have so inspired me to just do what I was doing before this COVID, which is put my phone away when I'm with my kids. I feel like now because I lost the childcare, I'm like, the phone comes with me everywhere and I'm multitasking, I'm multitasking, I'm multitasking. (laughs) But I do think I need to, as I was doing before the COVID, uh, you know, put it away for X amount of time. And right now my focus is my children. And right now I can't be multitasking. I think a lot of parents need to sort of reset that because we're all, we have to, we lost our childcare. We have to multitask, Um, but setting aside that time where we're not Mm -hmm. and being very intentional about that. Thank you for reminding me and inspiring me. I'm going to start. It starts today. It starts when we hang up. (laughs) And you
2: know what I think, Julie, is really interesting, right? Is that we feel much more competent online. You and I feel much more confident. Having a conversation with you two amazing souls makes me feel so much better than when I'm going to go home tonight and somebody's going to say, "I hate my brother." Mm, indeed. And Olivia said to me yesterday, "Do you know why my my daughter, who's seven, who is going to go to jail?" She said to me, "Do you know? Do you know why? Do you know why I'm like I am?" And I said, "Tell me, honey. What? What do you mean, like I am?" She, because you have so many mugs that have the swear words on them that your mugs make inappropriate all right okay that sounds fantastic and like they i i I don't want to put my phone away because i question my self-worth as a human when i sink into my children so what we got to pay attention to right is it's so much easier to get that instant gratification of okay how many views did did our podcast get how many things oh my gosh i can lead a team so much easier than i can lead my family um then we we do those things but i mean don't ever forget like that you know you are some of the most, we're phenomenal human beings to our team, to our nieces and nephews, to our babies. And, um, the, the instant feedback that we get from those things doesn't mean we're doing it wrong.
0: Love it. Love it. Yeah. Thank you so much that this was an an incredible conversation. I always feel like the best podcast guests are the ones that make me feel like I'm going to log off the call and change Mm -hmm. something about the way that I, I, you know, act or, or, respond to the situation that we're in so thank you very much for all of your many i usually close by asking like if there are any wisdom nuggets you want to drop but like that was just an entire uh bowl full of wisdom nuggets so (laughs) thank you for providing them uh is is there any place where people can go to find your body of work if they want to learn more
2: yeah we're online obviously on instagram facebook Com is our um website. And, uh, during this crisis, we're on every morning at eight, or I'm on every morning at eight 15 and I do Sunday night lives typically. Um, yeah, so we're everywhere. We'd love you to be part of our community. Uh, and I know our communities, uh, overlap a lot. So thank you for your work and what you're doing guys. I cannot wait to follow along and Watch all your magic in Virginia. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. Thanks Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conceptually Speaking. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and are coming away with a stronger grasp of the concepts and mental models that help us understand our world. If you like this podcast, feel free to like, comment, or subscribe on your favorite platform. If you want to learn more or get involved, check out our website at edtosavetheworld.com and join our Facebook group, Learning the Transfers.